0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. Our guests today are Stu Clark and Liz Reamer. Now, Stu is the CEO and Liz is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Premise Health. Now, Premise Health is a world's leading direct healthcare provider to employers. Their transformative approaches focuses on clinical expertise, easy access to care, in a seamless and simple member experience. Now, Premise focuses on value over volume so that they can provide healthcare that aligns with the goals of their employer clients and their people. So before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. Stu and Liz, welcome to the show. How do you feel about being on the show today, Liz?
1: fantastic. I'm just happy to be able to have some human, natural, normal conversation about the great things that are going on in healthcare and what we are doing to support that.
0: And Stu, what do you bring to bear today, my friend?
2: Well, uh, hopefully something of interest uh, to to your audience, Glenn. Uh, I've been in the direct healthcare business for three decades now, so. I think I have some context and perspective on on the US healthcare system and well, it's interesting.
0: Well, I'm sure it will be. And so on that note, you know, after 3 decades, you've seen a lot of change. And you've certainly seen a lot of change in the healthcare industry knowing that, you know, self-funded employers are now finally in the healthcare business. But yet they haven't really prioritized wellness or well-being enough. I mean, is it fair to say that a trust gap has emerged where some employees no longer believe in the work that they're doing? I mean, what is how does this all impact wellness and well-being?
2: Well, a lot to unpack there, Glenn, and, and I think you're hitting on some really important points. You know, employers are doing a better job. They are recognizing uh, more so today than, say, 15 years ago, uh, the importance of, of health and well-being uh, of, of their workforce. Uh, But they're up against a a tough set of obstacles in that the U.S. healthcare system is incredibly misaligned and actually works against the best interest of employers and and employees. But that's changing, uh, which is good news. uh, But we have work to do.
0: Well, it seems like there's more work than we really understand, because if employees aren't trusting their employers because they don't believe in the work that they're doing, I mean, this can have substantial uh, wellness challenges, especially during a time where we see changing demographics Uh, in those demographics, particularly in the black and brown communities are the ones that are so much more susceptible to chronic disease states. But as you well know, Stu, we cannot earn trust until we deliver value. So how does delivering value to an individual patient or employee help us actually earn trust?
2: Well, I, I think that what you're hitting at is, is really the driver uh, of the growth of the direct healthcare care industry. Um, you know, if you look at the number of on-site and near-site and dedicated primary care centers today sponsored by employers, you know, it, it's, it's larger than a factor of 100 versus where it was uh, 20 years ago. And so I think that in and of itself is a tangible example of where employers are saying, you know, we're going to invest in your health and well-being. And, and employers are increasingly understanding that behavioral health is part and parcel to delivering primary care. You know, we know you can't separate mind and body. And if we want our workforces to be engaged and productive, uh, then we have to address not just their physical well-being, but their emotional. And the direct healthcare industry is helping employers do this. Now, can you give us your own definition of the direct healthcare industry, just so our audience better understands that? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that question. Direct healthcare is when the employer decides to sponsor a access and delivery model separate and apart from what's available in the community or through their health plan. And so specifically, they often build on-site and near-site and then provide increasingly virtual access points for primary care that are exclusively available to their workforces and families. And so you'll have, you know, company A, uh, family health center and pharmacy, and it's available only to that workforce and their families in that community. And so there's there's a doubling down on access and quality uh, because our providers know that they have to spend as much time as needed with each individual patient instead of what we call doorknob medicine, which is, you know, treat them and street them, get them out, get them in, get them out, because I've got a waiting room full and I'm getting paid on fee for service. See, this is how the community thinks. Uh, whereas premise takes the approach, we're gonna have a conversation with you about your well-being, your lifestyle, your family history. And oh yes, of course, we'll treat your earache while you're here.
0: Very good. So it's full quality, full quality. So Liz, let's shift to you for a moment. I mean, you lead the organization's health uh, human resources strategy that includes premises well-being strategy. Now, how can employers become more agile, uh, quickly identify, and respond to new health risks for employees as they emerge?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, employers need to take a step back and really change their thinking. We are no different than everybody else in having to do that and really starting to think about what it is that their employees need and want out of their benefit strategy. And that's a huge shift for um, large self-funded employers, even small employers to really say, hey, what do our people actually perceive our benefits and the value of those benefits to be? And why don't we ask them? And why don't we try to understand what they value versus us just offering them an insurance card? So I think there's a step back that needs to occur first with employers and really understanding what their workforce and what their uh, their population needs and wants. Versus but, Liz, should, but Liz shouldn't have shouldn't we have known this to begin we with? Should've, we should have. We should have. But like Stu said, I think you know employers are up against some hard times. I mean, the healthcare costs are rising tremendously, um, and so there's a balance that still has to take place um, each and every day when you're look, looking at what employees are asking for and are wanting and there's a cost associated to that and what an employer can actually provide and afford so i think it's it's been working against us for a long time but i think we're all starting to figure out better ways
0: so how do we get ahead of the curve liz
1: well i think we get ahead of the curve by like i said making sure we understand what what people want and need um, most importantly and really i think also diving into um, and like we do at premise, really diving into our claims data and understanding what is going on with our our healthcare population within, uh, within our own walls. Um, a lot of times people don't know how to ask for the care that they need, or they don't want to approach with the care that they think they might need. So being able to look at that information and understand what's going on um, with that data, that claims data, And then making sure we're doing the right proactive outreach to ask people if they've seen their primary care physician, if they've had their annual screenings, hey, we've noticed your, you know, your, your blood sugar has been up and we would love to talk to you about our diabetes program, you know, doing some more proactive outreach to, um, I think, our employees is key versus just waiting.
0: So in in this pursuit to be more preventive, right, this is very critical in healthcare. Um, how do we actually do that with employees when you know, there's things like HIPAA and other issues that you know, we have to be sensitive to? So what would be some of your recommendations on how we could actually know what the employee needs and wants?
1: Do
2: you want to answer that? I'm, I'm chomping at the video. I know you are. I, I can I see it. <laughs> uh, you know, Glenn, I, I think it's as simple as this. We are entering an age of personalized medicine, whether you look at pharmacogenetics, which is the ability to determine, you know, the individual's likelihood to react positively to a drug therapy uh, or with the unlocking of the human genome. There's a whole, you know, uh, biomedical industry that is spun up around how to treat uh, people specific to their genetic makeup. And so- You know, just like there's no such thing as an average golfer, there's no such thing as an average diabetic. Your your body is unique to yourself. So I think there's an educational process that employers have to undertake with their workforces and families and say, look, we have this testing available. There are laws that protect your privacy. They're very stringent with very big penalties. But you have an opportunity to understand your individual health future uh, and, and you have the ability to control the outcome of your health as you get older. And we have provided some direct health care resources that will help you begin this journey and let the individual make their own choice. And, and so it's our job as employers to provide the tools and the access and then the ongoing support to take advantage of this new science that we have that is really groundbreaking. Some people don't know their family history and so now we can help them figure that out through the science that we have.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, we talk so much here about the individual, um, but I was just on a on a call recently with uh, a behavioral scientist who said, you know, we keep talking about genomics and you know precision medicine and personalized care, and they realized that wait a second, what's really advancing that is more of the technology, not necessarily the individual. So when you when you think about that, I mean, the role that individuals have today and the role that they can play to help advance um, healthcare, not just outcomes, but um, the research, it's so critical. So, I mean, talk about empowering people to do the right things on multiple levels, which takes me back to you, Liz. I mean... And Stu mentioned it before, but we're seeing this recent uptick in behavioral health needs that impact an organization's productivity. What can you share about that?
1: I mean, yes, that is 100% happening and occurring. And we know that when team members, employees are struggling with behavioral health issues, sometimes those costs of employee absences, planned, unplanned, can be double the cost of that, of healthcare. So... I think employees who have access to affordable and comprehensive health care are far less likely to miss work and to be more productive, which is important um, when at work. And if they are healthy and happy at home and in mind, they are going to be healthy and happy at work. And that's what we want. Um, behavioral health support, you know. As I mentioned, also lowers um, healthcare costs because oftentimes people struggling with their behavioral health conditions end up in emergency rooms. They have uh, deeper, more more broader healthcare issues, um, and it's important that those are addressed to uh, to help stop that un- vicious, that vicious cycle.
0: Now, do you see that also yourself internally at Premise Health?
1: We do have uh, an uptick in our behavioral health um, concerns. Um, our, you know, prescriptions are up, um, and we do offer and provide virtual behavioral health to all of our team members and all of our workforce, um, regardless if they're on our health plan or not. Um, so we are open to offering support and help to our team members, their dependents, our PRN populations that are, are you know, diving in to help us with scheduling. Uh, for our clinics, um, and we believe that that's important to be able to offer all.
0: And the reason I ask Liz is, is that you know today everyone's solving for the same thing. So if if Premise is out there trying to help their clients adopt the recommendations that they're proposing, well, I'm sure they want to know that you're doing it too. So I'm really glad that you were open and sharing what you're doing. And look, this is a constant journey. I mean, this has been a massive shift. And what employers are now responsible for with respect to uh, one's individual healthcare needs—that they've never really existed on this level. So thanks for for going there with us. Now, Stu, now you know that over the past few years, a lot has changed in commercial healthcare. I mean, what are the big challenges that your clients are experiencing as a result of these changes?
2: Well, something must change. I mean, to Liz's comment a moment ago, you know, year over year healthcare costs in the commercial in the commercial sector increasing at eight to ten percent, um, and and we think that that's even going to escalate. Um, mm. You know, the the bubble doesn't end in twenty three or twenty four with this pent up demand, and and kind of the the self destructive behavior that the U.S. population has gotten itself into, um, and so something's got to give, and and employers have to remain competitive. Domestically and globally, and they can't have a cost element, uh, w- you know, within their company that escalates uncontrollably uh, in a double-digit fashion. And so, again, I think the rise of the direct healthcare industry, um, the more prolific use of virtual access points, um, you know, to create access uh, to folks uh, to to providers uh, by patients, uh, but you know, the forcing function here is that it is unaffordable. It's unaffordable for the employer and it's unaffordable for the employee and their family. Co-pays are going up. It's what we call cost shifting. Yep. It continues. And so, um, and and the health plans and the pharmacy industry understand that that something's got to give. And we're going to see this evolution into value-based care, which is, you know, the, the fancy word of the decade in commercial healthcare, but we will be moving toward a more value-based care model over the next five to 10 years. But we just have to. The current methods are just not sustainable. Yeah, so, and, and my belief is that this behavioral health thing, I can't, I can't say enough about it, Glenn. You know, we are a dopamine nation, okay? I mean, we believe that something should be exciting every five minutes. And whether it's through the social media that we we engage with chronically, or the gaming, uh, or the chemicals we put in our body to make ourselves feel good or to escape uh, how we feel at the moment, we are a dopamine nation. And and the medical community and the employer community has to understand this. It, you want to talk about a pandemic? We have a behavioral health pandemic in this country, and. And so, ER costs, hospitalization costs, chronic disease costs are all going to be exacerbated by this behavioral health crisis that we have. It can't be under; it can't be overstated enough.
0: Do you think employers are aware of this too?
2: Yes, they don't know what to do about it, but they are absolutely aware of it. And there are not enough behavioral health access points or professionals in this country right now. The demand has just far exceeded the supply of these professionals and these these uh, services.
0: Yeah, we see that every day. Now, Sue, uh, Stu, tell us about um, how we're able to reverse chronic diseases through proactive lifestyle approaches. Now, what role does primary care have in preventing and lessening the, this chronic care epidemic that we're under? You know, what, one
2: of our our favorite parts of primary care is the increasing adoption of what we call lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. And premise is one of the largest employers of life boarded uh, board certified lifestyle medicine physicians in the country. The concept is simply this, you can reverse disease uh, through diet and movement. And while this doesn't sound novel, what we know is, and, and you know, look, the answer never is always in the extreme, right? You don't have to immediately change your diet to a full plant-based uh, model. But if you, can, if you can change the amount of sugar that you're putting into your system, um, if you can change uh, um, how you eat and what you eat, you can actually reverse type two diabetes. You can reverse hypertension. We yeah. know that you can lose weight, substantial weight in just, just by changing what you eat. And and for example, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. I don't care how much you exercise. You could exercise hours a day. If you have a bad diet, you will be unhealthy biologically. It's, it's the combination of how you eat, uh, the amount of sleep that you're getting, which is critical. Sleep is so underestimated in this country, um, combined with the proper level of movement, uh, which brings a reversal of disease. So. Where we implement these lifestyle medicine programs, we actually get people off their diabetes medication, off their hypertensive medication, um, and they start to lead uh, lead more fulfilling lives. And guess what a byproduct of that is? They're a more engaged, more productive employee for that employer. And the progressive employers understand this. And this is why we are seeing the adoption of lifestyle medicine in pockets within some of these progressive employers around the country. You know, it's incredible. And, this, this and on top
1: of that, right? The, All right. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. And on top of that, the patient starts to trust, I would say, their primary care provider, their doc, much more so than they have in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's when done correctly, when those things work great, we yield healthier and financially beneficial outcomes. So it, it works both ways.
0: No, that's a great point, Liz. You know, as the more I listen to you, and I hope our, our listeners are seeing this pattern, too just the complexities involved in serving our employees. You know, everything has been so one directional where we've almost dictated what they do things and how they do things. And, you know, now we're we're all in this business of changing behavior. This is hard. So the things that we're talking about here are, are hard because it's making us get out of uh, this highly standardized, almost... Um, you know, predictive way that we're supposed to operate, live our lives. And, you know, this has really been this goes back to how the balance of power has shifted from the institution to the individual. I mean, people want uh, to have more democracy in their lives, so to speak. They want to do things in their own way. But with that comes a heck of a lot of responsibility. So, Liz, which healthcare benefits matter most to today's workforce? And how does this vary industry by industry?
1: Oh goodness. Um, well, I think now we need to understand that depending on population, um, industry, the benefits could vary in terms of what is important. To that population, I think it's simple table stakes now to have behavioral health and uh, you know virtual primary care. Um, people want more than like I said, just an insurance card. So I think it really does depend on the population. It kind of goes back to my earlier comment and making sure you're you're understanding what your population needs, what they want, and what they perceive as the best value of your benefits package. And that benefits package for us, I'll speak on our behalf, is kind of a total rewards package. It could encompass anything from the compensation side of things, people are struggling today financially, um, to, you know, the the, the basic benefits that we offer to their flexible work schedules to their paid time off it runs the gamut it's not just their medical benefits it's a combination and the experience that that combination provides for people to want to remain um, employed with their employer or with premise so again as an example if you've got a younger population they may want you know an on-site state-of-the-art health center facility, um, or excuse me, fitness facility. Um, Mm -hmm. They may want a very cheap, uh, easy, virtual primary care access to maintain their acute needs, and then say, Hey, can you offer me some, you know, um, hospital indemnity, just in case, Um, you may have older worker population that may have chronic conditions. So that's where our connected care plus programs or uh, care management programs really might be beneficial. So I think again, It varies on your population and what they need and value versus what you think they want. That's excellent. Glenn, may I mention something talking about
2: empowering the individual and and trust? (coughs) Excuse me. You know, we're increasingly finding that infertility is a serious issue in this country. Um, And and there are a whole host of reasons that people speculate as to why, you know, um, um, people are waiting until they're older to have babies. Uh, we know that there is a stress uh, uh, factor that can affect fertility, and so fertility benefits offered by employers are increasingly important to their workforce. And you want to talk about an engaged and and trusting and productive workforce. Imagine a family that has been trying to get pregnant for ten years, and the stress that that causes at home, and then the employer doesn't offer a benefit like that, and so. You know, it's all tied together. I mean, whether we like it or not, many of our kind of innate drivers as we walk this planet are to procreate and reproduce. I mean, that's not a choice we have. That's kind of how we're wired. And when you can't do that and you want to and you've been trying to for a long time and your employer isn't helping you solve for that, um, that is not a step forward in employer employee relations.
0: Hey, by the way, you just touched my heart there. Uh, Stu, uh, my wife and I uh, struggled with infertility for seven years until we finally got our little daughter. So uh, I hear you loud and clear. I hear you loud and clear.
1: I know I don't mean to to interrupt, Stu. Thank you for reminding me of that. That was one of the things by premise, ourselves going out and doing what I call our conjoint survey and understanding our workforce needs and value and what they value. That was one of the main um offerings that we provided due to that feedback was family building and fertility benefits because of demand. Um, you know, we have a lot of our population having babies We're 80% women, but we really didn't think, I don't think we understood how many people were struggling. So that was an opportunity for us to provide what people needed. And it's been fantastic I think we just delivered, um, three sets of twins last year because of our, um, to benefit there. That so, awesome.
0: makes me turn red. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and if I could just throw myself into the mix here, imagine a Hispanic family that according to society, we're supposed to have lots of children, and yet we're struggling to have one. I mean, these issues go deeper and deeper as we continue to learn more and more about the individual. So as we wrap this up, uh, Stu, any final comments?
2: You know, really enjoyed the conversation today. It's it's nice to be in a dialogue that gets right to the heart of the issues faced in this country uh, with healthcare and and with employers. And at the end of the day, uh, employers may make something, they may make a widget or a tire or a piece of steel, uh, but we need people to make the U.S. economy work. And people are not robots. Uh, they need to feel needed. They need to be healthy, and they need to feel like. The organization that they're working for has their best interest in mind. Uh, We're making progress. We've got more work to do. Glenn, thank you so much for having us today.
0: No, Liz, thank you very much for your time. Stu, pleasure. And as we leave every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing And prudence says quit. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day, and remember without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.